Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, guys, welcome back to another Friday here on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. We hope that you've all had a great week, and we're going to dive into a really cool topic here. We're going to be talking about the 2A culture shock. Ooh. All right, there's been a lot of change in 2A culture, but um, this sort of serves to be a podcast slash video, if you're watching here on YouTube, that kind of wants to get into the weeds of how is the 2A, the face of the 2A changing uh, the culture of 2A changing, what's the status that the Second Amendment is sitting on right now? Like, what type of status are we dealing with? Like, where are we uh, legislation-wise, culture-wise? Um, and how can we, you know, come up with better and more effective ways mm-hmm. to protect the rights of all people who want to, uh, you know, keep and bear arms? That's obviously a very important thing to Matt and I. And it would be fun to kind of dive into these changes that – we have to accept, and they're not bad things. Uh, I certainly don't want anything to sound like we're, we're trying to speak negatively of uh, any of the changes we're going to discuss, unless, of course, it does merit uh, negativity. In some cases, it will. Uh, but we're going to try our best to be fair and clear and concise uh, mm-hmm. in all of this. Before we get rolling here today, I'd like to give a shout out to the show's sponsor, Koi CBD. They have some amazing CBD products, oils, bombs, gummies, flour, all kind of awesome stuff. I love their Delta 8 products. I have terrible back pain, and it really helps with my back pain. They also do some amazing dog treats. So if you've got some dogs that are crazy like mine, or maybe you've got an elderly dog that's got some bad back pain or something, that will definitely help them sleep and get around a lot better. These guys are super veteran and police-friendly, really awesome dudes, really good group of people. If you'd like to support them, use the code LLP, that's Lima, Lima, Papa for you military folks, and you'll receive 15% off. So check them out, Koi CBD. It, it does seem that probably one of the biggest issues going on right now, in my mind, that, that the 2A suffers the most from, is probably... Um, Identity politics, as well as the, the the sort of holistic type of two party system that people keep clinging to, um, you know, they they think that just because a person has whatever letter next to their name that they can rely on them for a multitude of different things instead of looking at them uh, each on their individual characteristics, negative or positive. So I think people wrongly place uh, you know a lot of support in politicians when they probably shouldn't. Right. Like, so there's a bit of that that comes into play. But we have seen on the 2A front uh, in terms of legality and in terms of laws and rules and things like that, which, you know, that's the society we live under, whether we like it or not. We are a nation of laws. Right. We're a constitutional republic, not a democracy. That's right. So when we look at the situation, it's being handled in the way that the founding fathers intended with separation of powers, at least in theory. In practice, it's hard to say. Uh, but there is at least the perception of the separation of powers. Uh, right now, we know the Democrats are trying to pack the Supreme Court. Uh, they're trying to nuke the filibuster. There's a couple of Democrats standing in the way of that, as well as a few on-the-fence Republicans. Yes. Uh, they currently don't have the votes they need to nuke the filibuster. And when it's come to federal gun control, uh, the closest thing I can think of that even has a snowball's chance 
uh, of of passing would be the confirmation uh, of uh, oh, what's his face? Chipman. Chipman. Yes. Yep. Okay. So when we look at the David, the David Chipman, uh, you know, nomination. They're on a razor thin edge on that, and there's quite a few people that have questioned some of these Democrats that are on the fence, as well as the Republicans and moderates that are on the fence, um, about whether or not they are going to vote yay to confirm David Chipman. And they're simply referring it to it as a partisan issue that's not a, a bipartisan issue. So there are a lot of Democrats and Republicans alike that will sit out on a particular bill and vote no for it automatically because they know that the issue is too heavily biased towards one side or the other. That's what a good politician is supposed to do. They're supposed to put their policies as a person over what the policies of the party are. And there's very few Democrats and Republicans that have really done, in my opinion, a good job of actually being representative to a wide variety of people that they happen to represent as a politician. And, you know, you look at Joe Manchin out of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. He's been doing him. a really good job of actually trying to be kind of fair, right? I mean, yeah, his gun stat or his um, stat, uh, stance on guns has not been overly jump for joy great. But at least he's willing to understand that gun ownership is a very polarizing issue for a lot of people and that they should stay away from it completely. And he's also, you know, respected the constitutional boundaries as well. You know, uh, Manchin has not indicated that he's the kind of person that's going to vote, you know, yay to nuke the filibuster whenever he thinks it's going to benefit one side heavily over the other. Right. Or that he's not so selfish that he's going to nuke the filibuster just knowing that his party holistically is going to come out ahead on that. So I think it's smart and it requires, you know, a good bit of, of good conscience in terms of how you look at things to kind of go, Hey, you know, there's a bigger issue at hand than just me and just this party. And that's the needs of the people. So I think at least the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of two a and the way we've, we've got to look at it now is that at least there are some people on both sides of the aisle that are trying to do the right thing and are actively trying to do the right thing. I uh, it's, a, it's a short agree. list. Yeah. Well, this this the the last couple of weeks has really shown me that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, two things: one, uh, that a lot of these states uh, are starting to um, take control of their own sovereignty, and you're starting to see this with while they are clamping down on federal gun laws, the states are going back to their roots as having those states' rights and saying, well, you know what, you can do whatever you want at the federal level, but we're not going to have to listen to you because we're going to create a two-way sanctuary or we're going to uh, add stuff to their actual state constitution that doesn't allow them to um, uh, enforce any federal unconstitutional laws. And you're you know, starting to see that across the board. You definitely are beginning to see that. Mm-hmm. And um, just like we've mentioned in a couple of previous um, gun gripes and or podcasts, um, quickly, if you're here tuning in on the YouTube channel, thank you for tuning in. And thank also, you. if you're you know tuning back in on um, all of the podcast outlets, thanks for tuning back in. We hope you'll give us a nice comment. Uh, you know, maybe a good like and a share would be helpful. Um, if you're 
watching this video on YouTube uh, in video form. This podcast is available usually. Not every single one of them is in video form and gets mm-hmm. put on YouTube, but most of them do. Some of uh, them gets, get hand-slapped by YouTube. Some of, them, yeah. some of them we don't put up <laughs> for certain reasons, but for the most part, we try to post these on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, you've all, you're also familiar with our gun gripe episodes, and we've mentioned um, how much the demographics of firearms ownership has changed so drastically over the years. And even without looking at it from a standpoint point of demographics and who's who or whatever, all of that aside, right, all you have to do is look at the way culture has changed the laws. And that's really where the rubber meets the road on this whole paradigm uh, between laws and what people want passed in terms of laws versus what actually gets done versus what advocacy is for a certain thing or what it means to lobby effectively as a lobbying group, which we'll get into that here in a minute. Oh, yes, we will. So when we discuss the minutia of that, all you have to do is look at, and we've referenced these before in previous videos and podcasts, are the changing maps. Like you can look and see where, you know, they went all the way from a may issue state to shall issue, then to constitutional carry. And it's interesting to see that data affect the map in the way that it does. Because uh, without speaking uh, out of school here, let's just say um, that there are quite a few states that have adopted 110% constitutional carry in their states. And I think that number's well above 20 at this point. Oh, yeah. Not I think more. It, yeah, it's, it's a significant amount. It's a yeah. majority of the states, actually. Yeah, you could say that, that a lot of states yeah. have constitutional carry now. So that is the ultimate carry permit is no carry permit. Correct. Constitutional carry, the Constitution is your carry permit, right? You have the right to keep and bear arms, and it's just that simple, right? Um, there's already been multiple Supreme Court cases that have determined that the government does not have the ability or authority to tax a right. Uh, we look at that with, uh, I believe is Mayberry versus Madison, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the case that involved poll taxes, all right, so they were assessing poll taxes in order to try to keep minorities from getting into the polling booths and voting because they knew that, you know, at the time they knew that certain people just could not afford it, right? Mm-hmm. So it was one way that they could effectively keep minorities from voting. And honestly, all poor people, regardless of color, um, that bill, you know, that that requirement to have to have a polling tax disenfranchised a lot of people. So we've definitely come a long way in realizing, you know, people's ability and right to vote is very important, right? Uh, One vote for a person that's alive and the person that is verified to live where they say they are and has a photo ID. I don't think that's asking a whole lot. Anyway, I won't get into the weeds on that, but they ended up determining that poll taxes are unconstitutional. Okay. So if my, if I have the right to to vote, and I can't be charged a tax uh, to vote or some sort of a fee to vote, then why do I have to pay uh, some fee in order to exercise my right to own a firearm or carry a firearm? Certain states have FOID cards, which are basically firearms owner identification cards. Um, Certain cities and municipalities require that sort of thing. So why do I have to pay some fee to exercise my right? Why do I have to undergo... Um, you know, this this crazy, obtrusive look into me just for me to be able to own a firearm, right? So if poll taxes are unconstitutional, then in the same breath, why can't an NFA tax for $200 to own a suppressor be unconstitutional? Um, the, the Second Amendment doesn't say shall not be infringed except suppressors and shotguns with short barrels and short barreled rifles and machine guns, right? 
No, it says to keep and bear arms, and arms is what those items are. So, uh, you know, it's crazy to think that you have to pay a tax stamp and wait a year just to exercise a right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there is a change in culture in that people, the change of attitude that people are going through, Matt, is that they're they're looking at the situation really from the wrong lens. Like they're thinking about it as being only a gun issue, but it's actually, it's a natural rights issue, right? Just like you wouldn't want somebody to uh, quell your freedom of speech or censor you. You you want to be able to say what you want to say and speak your mind and say what's on your mind without fear of reprisal or fear of, of, you know, some issue occurring. I mean, as long as you're being reasonably respectful and not just saying completely heinous stuff. I mean, I think there's a there's a line people all agree that like socially there's discussions that people can have and it just shouldn't be a problem to be able to say what you want and be respectful to each other and everybody have an opinion and share their opinion with whoever they want. So just like you wouldn't want somebody infringing on your first amendment rights, it's important to remember that firearms ownership is a right and it is a very important natural right that we have and that we possess that men can't give us. Right. So the government doesn't give you the right to bear arms. You are born with the right to bear arms. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, what it does is it recognizes the things that the government can't do to those rights. So there's a difference. Everyone thinks that the Second Amendment is this governing thing that is this is a rule that we have to follow. It's not a rule that the people have to follow. It's a rule that the government has to follow. Okay, that is a construct that this country was created under, is that there are certain things that the government shall not do to their citizens, and depriving them of the ability to protect themselves is one of those things. That's right. The Founding Fathers said, hey, this is off limits. Stay away from this, right? It's not about my ability to go and hunt migratory birds or to go hunt deer or to go shoot a pellet gun in my yard that that ultimately they probably want you to have some license to own a pellet gun. This isn't about that. This is about what they can't do with our rights, not about uh, what some document gives us the ability to have this right. We're born with that right. We're endowed with these rights by our creator. It is a natural right. All the, the, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, all these founding documents, they only recognize what the government can't do with that. Not what we can and can't do. So on top of that, uh, and just uh, I was looking up how many states had constitutional carry. It's uh, currently 27. So we're at 27. over half. Yep. Um, So that's good. And I know it's been uh, being mulled over in Texas Mm because, I mean, they're kind of on the cusp of constitutional carry. Uh, And Georgia, I know. And succession. Yeah, and succession. We won't get into that right now. (laughs) Maybe you had a later podcast. Um, But... um, Georgia was also talking about it um, for a while as well, trying to get it uh, passed with constitutional carry. What really, what really opened my mind when they were when they were interviewing or uh, questioning Chipman about his uh, role going into the head of the ATF, I've always watched those and had I'm yelling questions out like, "Why aren't you asking this? Why this is like these are these are." questions that everyone wants to know about and they never ask them it's almost like they're they're glazing over because they don't want to know the answers but when when i know it was ted cruz and it was another um senator his name escapes me but they asked him the questions that i genuinely wanted to know the answer to which was really interesting and they were like well if you said you're on board to ban ar-15s or assault rifles define it 
And to watch him try Chipman, I say him as in Chipman, to watch Chipman try to skirt around that. And then both senators were just hammering him. Well, how can I vote to vote for you one and vote to ban something if you don't know what the actual definition is? And to hear the reply of, well, my job is to just enforce the law. So that's the wrong answer because if you're if you look at any law enforcement officer he nonchalantly says well i'm just a cop i'm just a cop you can't use that as an excuse especially when you're the determining factor of if you're going to ban an assault rifle quote assault rifle and they they were, did a very very good job of giving him rebuttals of saying that's not a real word they called right. him out on it that that's a here's part of the term. issue Conspiracy against rights is a federal offense in the United States of America under 18 U.S.C. 241, whatever. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States or because of his having so exercised the same. Okay? So basically... Let's see, this title should be fined under this title or imprisonment not more than 10 years or both if a death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, uh, such as kidnapping, kidnapping, an attempt to kidnap, uh, aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill. Uh, They shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death. So... You know, basically, I guess that's where you get into uh, the whole idea of qualified immunity and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it certainly does make you think that, like, you know, U.S. law had the foresight to recognize that even just conspiring to deprive someone of their rights is a crime. And especially if the either the conspiring or the action that deprives them of said right involve, and, and, you know, involves someone dying or, or one of these heinous things that you're actually committing a crime. So at what point, just because there's a letter next to someone's name that or a court order said, go do this, or the cops decide they're going to go do this, or Chipman tells all his guys, hey, go raid this house. And no matter what happens, we're just going to dust this thing up and clean it up in the media. I mean, not to say that it happens in that exact way. Of course it doesn't. But the view of it from society is that the ATF is a group of people that, you know, are going to come shoot your dog and they're going to burn your house down and just for being different or for being or for them just thinking that you're doing something terrible when you you might not. Right. But, well, the thing how bold know. that is to look to look senators and congressmen and women in the face and say, yes, I plan on banning assault rifles and then or he's for banning assault rifles. And then he does not have an actual definition of it. So that lets me know off the bat that it's going to be whatever, uh, whatever they want it to be. And uh, one of the senators called him out and said, you know, what you're describing is any magazine that holds more than 10 rounds and larger, a detachable magazine and, and a caliber higher than 22. And they literally said that's every single rifle in the U.S., well, so. you know, right now that there's all this talk about, you know, the ATF wanting to change the definition of what they consider a frame or receiver on a firearm to be. And right now the comment section is actually open for it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be open for a considerable amount of time. 
excuse me, I would strongly recommend that people go over there and submit a comment to the ATF over there on their uh, on their site uh, so that your voices can be heard, right? Um, we look at this bump stock situation. So it's one of these sort of stains on the Trump administration that we all hate to acknowledge because it, it sucks, right? But the fact that, you know, Trump used executive orders to ban bump stocks, a very trivial thing. Like, it's, it's such a low-hanging fruit because I think that his thought was, well— um, there's not enough gun owners that care about it, or it's not a hot button um, subject enough for someone to get up in arms about over it. And to some tiny degree, he might have been a little bit right because, I mean, there were some people that just really didn't care. But obviously, some of us that are completely on the 2A abs- absolutionist standpoint, like mm-hmm. I'm a 2A absolute kind of guy, like I want Second Amendment to be what it is and as it's written. You know, I want to be able to own whatever I want as much as I want and it not be a big deal, right? And I want that for everyone. So I'm not saying that I fall into that camp. I'm just recognizing that that camp does exist. Now, when we see the FPC uh, and the GOA did, well, mainly the GOA um, set forth a lawsuit on this bump stock thing that actually wound up setting forth a really cool precedence when it comes to how this stuff can be treated. So basically, um, I think it was like the Ninth Circuit or somebody, one of the circuit courts. I believe it was the Ninth. I think it was the Ninth Circuit Court. They wound up determining, right, that a federal alphabet agency, get this, I mean, now, I know this is crazy, okay, to think about it like this because some people just don't realize it's really this simple, right? ATF does not make laws. All right. Congress makes laws, right? There is a checks and balances. There's a system for how we have separation of powers in this country. There is a organized system for how we introduce a bill. It goes through the House, goes through the Senate, does its thing. Or if it starts in the Senate, it goes through the House. If it starts in the House, it goes through the Senate, vice versa. And then it's got to go to the president's desk to be signed into law, right? The problem is is that an alphabet agency, in this case the ATF, does not have the lawful authority to change the law without changing the law. You can't just reinterpret. You can't go, well, we'd like to make this tiny change to the wording, or we'd like to change this definition to this, but you can't do that without changing the law. So that would require them to say, okay, they would have to basically push through the the Gun Control Act of 68 or whatever that created some of these weird standards. You get into the 922R and the import compliance and like some of these definitions that they came up with back Mm -hmm. in the 60s and stuff and uh, around 68 or so, I believe. So when we get into that, the issue then uh, becomes right is that in order to change the standard to something that is a little bit more um, workable for their tyranny, okay, it's more workable for them to be able to go after the people they want to go after in the 2A world, whether it's people that are 3D printing their own suppressors or 3D printing their own lowers, uh, whether it's completing an 80% lower, which is completely lawful. I mean, in the United States, it is a a perfectly lawful and normal activity for a person to make their own firearm. But the issue is because society at large, or at least you're led to believe that society at large has some crazy, glowing, glaring issue with it, that they feel like they have to swoop in like the social justice warriors that they are in the nanny state that they are, and they have to apply some token to this situation to appease a very vocal minority that literally just doesn't exist. I mean, if you ask the average gun owner at large, they're just trying to figure out the difference between a handgun, a rifle, and a shotgun 
uh, just for their own basic tendencies to be able to be a first-time gun owner, they're concerned about that. They're not diving into the deep, well-trodden minutia of what an 80 percenter is or what it means to make your own gun or how you chamber your own rifle barrel or how you fit an action or blueprint action or how you glass bed a stock or how you do anything even marginally related to the technical aspects of firearms. Yeah. And here's the thing. You've always been able to make your own firearms. Nothing changed there. It was always legal. Right. You just couldn't sell it. So you, when they started going after 80% lowers, whether they're like the polymer 80s or even like the lower receivers where you have to mill it out, if they're so concerned about criminals getting a hold of those and using them, um, they didn't learn that criminals don't follow the law anyways. So even if they were to do everything they could, they would. criminals are always going to be able to get, quote, illegal firearms. Because and the thing is, if someone do. is going through, let's just say some extremely black market situation in order to get a gun or whatever, right? They're not going to buy something like that anyway. Yeah. That's the thing. Like there, there are people that that's what they do is they run guns, right? So there's an entire black market where people can buy all kinds of stuff like that. And it's all over the place. And you'd be surprised the kind of stuff you can buy. And I'm not even going to go as to venture too far in this podcast to mention, but like, you know, it's not outside the norm for some cartel member working out of the United States or really any type of criminal enterprise, whatever it may be. It's not entirely impossible to buy things like grenades and RPGs and machine guns, especially and, and Claymore mines yeah. and grenades, you know, so the, the people that are doing really super terrible, heinous things with guns when it comes to just criminal activity, as we would all define it as criminal activity, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because I think there's a lot of things that are illegal that shouldn't be illegal, okay? But beside, besides the point, okay, besides the point, there are a lot of criminal en- enterprises where, I mean, yeah, these guys are being guarded with uh, light machine guns and they're being guarded with claymores in their yard and yeah, that stuff ain't exactly kosher. And yeah, they don't just waltz into Walmart and buy it. Like there's an entire underbelly society that involves getting some of that really specialized hardware. Do you think for one second that a serious criminal enterprise that actually needs guns to operate on a regular basis, especially at that level, do you think they're going to buy some polymer 80 uh, <laughs> basement made, you know, Glock someone milled out? No, they're going to buy a legit like Glock 18 or they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to buy a factory machine gun and they're going to get it through whatever channels they need to do. So criminals don't obey laws. They don't care what your social construct is that you have chosen as your acceptable means for how firearms should be handled. That doesn't exist in their mind. They're criminals, right? You're only hurting the law-abiding people. And if anything, you're making it harder for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves and have the tools necessary to do that job. So good, good examples are... In the U.S., um, there's that, uh, and I say, and I'm using air quotes, quote, good guy with a gun myth. So they say, oh, there's the good guy with the gun. Well, the fact that you even have the ability to have that happen is amazing. If you look at, one, because we have the Second Amendment and we can we can carry guns and we, we're able to do whatever we want to, two countries recently uh, that heavily, heavily regulate firearms, one, uh, United Kingdom. Good luck. Only only bad people have, bad guys have guns in the UK. Yet, 
in a country that's been that's extremely heavily regulated somehow someone got a gun and shot the one of the the uk blm uh uh founders in the head at a party all right so tell me in a country where everything is so regulated only the bad people have guns okay check got it even more recently russia russia regulates firearms extremely hard they had a shooting there with bad guys they those countries there is no option for a good guy with a gun scenario because it doesn't exist so here in the u.s the one that comes to mind one the the teacher that saved the student the little girl from getting kidnapped from the playground that was probably like a week ago or two weeks ago good guy with the gun stopped the kidnapping of an 11 year old girl all right before that it was uh the guy in the church the uh that that shot the guy two guys at a church one that chased the guy down with an AR15 and another one uh shot the guy inside of the the congressional area so those scenarios exist they work most recently they do but other countries are it's showing that the fact that we do have the right to defend ourselves and others and protect others um puts us in a different category than any other country Jack Wilson was that gentleman's name. Yes. Fired the shot in the church. Yeah, the old 357. uh, I think it was a 357 SIG. SIG, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, hey, you know. Interesting caliber choice. Here's the thing, and and society is very guilty of this, and um, it's very easy for people to sort of surround themselves with their own dogmas and biases and their own little emotional and physical bubble that they create around themselves and their existence. I mean, people tend to be very egotistical. A lot of people tend to be very, very narcissistic. And people tend to have that tendency where they kind of get into their little tribes and they stay there and they don't have an open mind about anything, whether it's meeting people, um, maybe people that don't look like them or or believe the same things that they do, right? Uh, Whatever bias that person creates, they sort of surround themselves with it. It becomes like, um, I wouldn't compare it to a bubble. It almost becomes like a cocoon that you're sort of festering in a little bit. So it's like it's very easy for people to have a very limited scope on a given subject or um, maybe people are of the mindset where they don't really think about um, how that affects them until it affects them. And it's really easy for people to just have their head buried in the sand and just pretend that a given issue doesn't exist or isn't important because it doesn't directly affect them. And I think that the Second Amendment, and when it comes to gun legislation and efforts of the anti-gunners to get um, legislation passed on the Hill, the reason that you see so much, um, you know, legislation being proposed, especially by the Democrat side, is I think that they are relying on low-information people. They're relying on people that are willing to be spoon-fed a given narrative in relation to a certain subject, right? And with guns, there are a lot of people. Now, it's a changing face because more people are getting into guns, and that's great. The more people we have learning about guns and accepting gun ownership as a you know normal, uh, basic American right, the better right. But the issue is that they rely on such low-information people that have gotten all the facts. It's not that they're dumb people. They're just ignorant when it comes to that one thing, right? And they'll prey on it, and they'll hone in on it. And because they know that their voter base is ignorant on a given subject, because it doesn't really affect them, right? Or at least they want to pretend it doesn't exist. They create a situation where emotionally, they're they're being emotionally controlled, 
and they're being actually told what their opinion is on a given subject rather than them garnering that opinion through actual observation and gathering all the facts and statistics and data and letting the facts be your guide and not some overseer with a D next to their name that's just going to tell you what you need to think. They also have a tendency to, to be in, a, in an echo chamber. A lot of um, organizations, definitely organizations, but a lot of people that are, they take an anti-gun stance, uh, tend to live in an echo chamber where everybody has the same uh, mindset, which, you know, is guilty of everybody that's into something. If that's like you're, if you're into, you know, parachuting, then you tend to hang out with people that are into parachuting. And that's what you talk about. Right. But when you start looking at how the echo chambers operate. All right. So you have a whole bunch of anti-gunners that are all together, but then they start trying to gift wrap stuff into, um, you know, very broad terms. Like if you're like, Oh, common sense gun control. Doesn't that sound very broad? And they try to, they try to dress it up and they make it sound palatable to where even someone that is, uh, they don't have a, that doesn't have an outlook on anything. They could be, they're in the middle. They're not pro gun. They're not anti gun. But when they hear something like that, they kind of get sucked into it and they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That means, yeah, it's common sense. But then you start digging into it and you start reading it and there's nothing common sense about it. it right. It's it basically, it's a basic civics lesson. If you don't understand civics or basic constitutional rights or law, then there's nothing there's nothing common sense about it. It doesn't make sense. Well, it's the equivalent of a lawmaker. Let's just say I'm an anti-gun lawmaker or whatever, and I want to propose something that sounds palatable, but in reality, it's pretty wide-ranging. Let's compare it to, okay, if I made a statement as a politician, let's just say this isn't even gun-related. It's, well, anyway. Say that I was a politician and I made this statement. I'm like, hey— we should pass some laws, all right, that make it a lot harder for women to be attacked by rapists. Okay, if you look at the totality of that statement, all right, it makes perfect sense. Like, okay, who wouldn't want to find a way to protect women from rapists? Like, that just seems logical. Of course, well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't be okay with that? So they package it in a way that it's impossible to say no to because because yeah, on I've the surface you're kind of like well wait a minute what what's so bad but the issue okay now we look into this bill that me this evil lawmaker is going to propose oh but you get to read my bill and you realize that it's going to require for every man to be castrated you know what i mean so it it it's like what length are you willing to go to get that super basic watered down thing that you're speaking very generally about right Oh, common sense gun control. Well, your idea of common sense gun control might be disarming everyone. Well, that's the equivalent of castrating everybody to protect against rapists. Yeah. You know, so or it'd be the equivalent of, all right, this person's a rape victim over here. Oh, but um, you five people there, y'all, y'all have uh, male parts. No, we need to we need to castrate all the men, right? I mean, it's it's like see how crazy that sounds? So if I were a lawmaker and I delivered it in such a direct term as that. You'd be like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. This is getting a little silly here, right? So the issue is if they look, if they go to the goal that they're trying to go go to just essentially on what it is and not such a broad and general term, people start to go, now, wait a second. 
we're not having this, right? You know, I, I don't want my AR-15 taken away. I don't want to have to have, you know, a more strict licensing requirement for me to own a gun. I'm already busy enough as it is, right? I got to schedule an appointment to go to the probate court. I got to pay a fee. I got to go through all this paperwork and this bull crap and have a background check ran just to carry a gun. Actually, I'm about to have to renew mine. I think it's a dumb idea to have to have a carry permit. But you know what? It's the law here, and it keeps me from getting screwed with. So I just do it, and I just deal with it because I just don't want to get messed with by anybody, and it's just not worth it all the, you know, the the potential issue it would cause me versus having it right. That's but right. some people are really busy, and they don't have time for all that crap, you know? That and the fact that it's required is uh, an infringement in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So. Well, like I say, I don't agree with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think anybody that uh, agrees with having to take time out of your work day for uh, only two hours that you know, right. there's a window there. And not to mention pay a fee to exercise a right. Yeah. But you, like, you have a very small window of opportunity there and it's cash only. So hope you only have uh, your cash with you because they only take cash. Yeah. So it's just like this whole this whole dog and pony show, all these loop, hoops you have to jump through. What you were describing sounds very similar to a high-risk protection order, how they try to wrap it and make it sound like who wouldn't? Who wouldn't be against or who would be against high-risk protection orders? Well, to be completely fair, though, okay, and I'm not saying that I agree with those orders because I certainly don't. That's not even what I'm going to talk about here. Uh, But the pro-gun side is relatively effective at doing the same thing. All right. So, all right, we yeah. pat, we uh, tried to get the Hearing Protection Act passed. This is true. Okay, now, all right, the Hearing Protection Act. That sounds good, right? You want to protect your hearing. like So the way it's packaged, yeah, it matters whether it's a pro-gun bill or an anti-gun bill. So to be fair, both sides of the aisle do it to kind of package it in a way that's the most palatable uh, with the people they think they need to change the minds of. So it's not just an exclusive thing that the anti-gunners do. The pro-gunners also package things and make it a little more yeah. friendly. And, you know, I could see why you do it. So that is interesting. That's an interesting point because in Europe, where weapons and guns are heavily regulated, they actually require you to have a, a suppressor, a sound silencer in some countries. And it's uh, it's very uncouth of you if you don't use one while out hunting so you're not bothering your neighbors yeah your neighbors don't want to be bothered with your pheasant hunt or your uh you know your hunting expedition on your land you you also have to remember too that in a lot of places like that recreational shooting is not looked at in the same vein as it is here Mm mm-hmm you know, here it, it might be normal for, uh, you know, a grandpa and his grandson to go out and burn up, you know, 1,500 rounds of 22 in one day with an unsuppressed Ruger 1022 in the backyard. And they might be going at it for hours on end shooting, you know, especially if you're only talking a state where you've got 10 round mags. You know, a standard capacity Ruger magazine for the uh, 1022 is a 25 round BX25. Mm-hmm. Okay. But even, even with 25 shot mags, I mean, it can take you all day to sit there and shoot a you know brick or two of ammo because you're having to load it up. So right, many times. so we we approach you know shooting in a lot different way than they do. They may not go out and spend a whole afternoon shooting. They might take a you know rifle out and just verify zero for hunting or something. But I think the concept of just recreational shooting is not something that is quite as celebrated in in other countries like it is here, um, especially not you know. 
uh, targets that have even the, the the most minute amount of of human analog mm-hmm. to them. Well, right, I mean, you would never see them shooting at a human silhouette or right. anything like that, and definitely not like drawing a pistol and doing training. Or you know, deploying a rifle from a vehicle, or drawing a pistol from a carrier, or or, or doing some type of you know injured shooter drill, right. or you know anything even remotely related to training with a pistol, you definitely won't see that at all in a lot of those countries. Well, there's a few European countries that are coming around. I think the Czech Republic mm-hmm. uh, just introduced their uh, their you know, concealed carry or, you know, personal weapons uh, legislation. Well, they actually have a, like their version of the Second Amendment yeah. now. And, well, that and they uh, they have like some type of reciprocity with other with the few other countries that are that are surrounding them. But that's really cool to see to see other countries adopting that. Uh, I know the Philippines is a heavily heavily like gun culture country. Um, you wouldn't think so, but man, you go to the Philippines, it's just guns everywhere. Like, you know, I actually are. read an article. And I don't remember exactly where it was, so I'm not going to try to quote the exact uh, article, but I just happened to see it in passing. Um, it was an article about how a lot of the ladies originally from like Thailand and from the islands and from some of those types of countries, you mm-hmm. know, um, are very much down with like the American prepper mentality and like, you know, people that want to stay ready and be ready and, and mm-hmm. provide, you know, for their families and just, you know, they, they have, a certain amount of respect and admiration for like manly men. And I, I thought that was kind of cool to read that article that, you know, their ladies are all about like, yeah, I want, I want to be protected. I want to have a strong male role model as, as a husband in the family. And so it's yeah. like they're down with those traditional nuclear family social values that they are. Of yeah. course, the left has, has completely, you know, denounced, right? That type of existence, right? When you look at this just modern Marxism movement, I'm not going to get like too far down the weeds on this, but like BLM and and just the the modern Marxist progressive Marxist movement, mm-hmm. uh, it's very much about breaking down the structures of a traditional nuclear family, yeah, that's exactly, whatever that's, that's supposed to mean. Yeah, that's just exactly the, what it is. The traditional family unit, right? So there are you know people that come from certain parts of the world where they have to deal with a lot of terrible stuff, and surviving is a lot harder, and the threshold. Uh, for everyday life and what's required to live everyday life normally is much harder than what we have here. And when those folks immigrate here and move here, a lot of them, they bring those values along. They're like, hey, you know, I understand what it's like to work and uh, and have to provide and be able to protect myself from bad people. And hey, I understand the value of gun ownership because I came from some terrible country that has these extreme social socialist values and you can't own guns and there's murder everywhere and all kind of terrible things going on. And when they escape that and come here, they realize, hey, like we're all about freedom because I just came from somewhere where I don't have freedom and I, I didn't come from such a, you know, a great place to live. And then when they come here, they're like, wow. You know, now that they know what freedom's like, they Mm -hmm. sort of guard it and protect it. So I think there's a double-edged sword in terms of the population uh, densities and the population demographics in the United States where people go, well, we've got all these illegal immigrants coming in and things like that, and that changes demographics. Mm -hmm. And, of course, people assume that they vote a certain way. And that's probably true in, in the sense of a certain block of people, though. But I think there are a lot of people, no matter how they might be coming here, uh, I'm not legal, legal, whichever direction you want to look at it from. There are a lot of people that, that immigrate here 
that understand that this is a really awesome place to live and certainly don't want to change it uh, at all. They want, you know, the freedoms that come along with it. They want to be able to buy a gun, protect themselves, you know, that whole thing. Uh, that this country recognizes and values human rights and natural rights. And I can't think of anyone, especially if they've ever been subjected to a lesser way of living, uh, that they would want to change that for what they just escaped from. And that's, that's the thing, all right? And I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, on our website, we sell merch, obviously. Um, but there's we sell a lot of merch that has to do with like, anti-Marxist, anti-communist, anti-communist stuff like that so i have quite a few shirts that are you know one is uh, i have a tank top it says kill a commie from mommy it's like a vintage style design uh and we have another one that says better red than dead and it's the uh the hook the hammer sickle with the little uh ghostbusters uh x through both of those shirts every time i wear them uh, i always get compliments and every single time it is from somebody that is from a country that experienced it so I was wearing the Better Dead Than Red t-shirt and we were at the park with my daughter and I had a family of uh, Ukrainians come up to me and they said, we love your shirt. Um, you know, where can we buy it? So I pointed them in the right direction, but obviously they've experienced firsthand what that is. And then uh, Saturday or Sunday, I went to our uh, neighborhood pool and I was wearing the, you know, kill a commie from mommy tank top. And I, funny enough is I had a family from South Florida that were Cuban and they came up to me and they were like, that's the best shirt. I love that shirt. And they were like, oh, I'm from, we're from Cuba. And they kind of went into it. And mm -hmm. I just find it interesting that, you know, everything that America stood for as a country, the beacon of freedom, other countries flock here so they can participate and accept it. But there's a, there's a section of Americans that wish to tear it apart. So I just, it's very interesting to me when I think about it, that we have so many immigrants that come in here legally that are, that are wanting to experience the human value or the American values and participate and make America a better place. And then at the same time, we have natural born Americans that are fighting against that. And it just you know, blows me away. I really do want to believe in my heart that there are a lot of people that are coming here that do want to come here to live in peace and, and live in freedom and, and really assimilate to the culture uh, that is American values and that are, you know, our respect for natural rights and, and, and the good things that come along with that, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness can be seen in a lot of different ways, right? When you look at life, liberty, and the pursuit – it can be taken as a selfish connotation. You know, well, that's selfish. You know, you do not care about anyone else. Well, no, that's not it. It's to honor and respect that basic function in society, that people have uh, the right to choose the life and the freedom that they want for it and to live their life the way they want to. And we have a very strong emphasis on human rights here, um, so much so that there are areas of our society where people have created the boogeyman out of nothing, uh, things are so good that people have to go out of their way to create some crazy, I don't know, fantasy thing to be upset about. We have it so good that people have to dream up things to complain about. That's how good it is here. So it does, I would like to think that um, 
on the on the construct of immigration and and people coming here and assimilating to our culture. I'd like to think that the ones that come here trying to change things to what they escape from, I would like to think that it definitely uh, is outweighed by the ones that actually want to assimilate, you know, to our culture uh, from a holistic kind of view, you know, not to say we're perfect because we're not, but I think the founding documents and, you know, our Bill of Rights and the Constitution and all of these natural rights that we have recognized uh, in the founding documents of our country, I believe, is is as close to the most perfect form of government you could ask for. Uh, you know, I think the checks and balances wrote into our into our system is uh, fair and it works pretty well and it's it's held us up pretty good as long as we can keep. Uh, those checks and balances in place, you know, our founding fathers did not ever intend for it to be a two or three party or multi-party system, right? They wanted a government where people were viewed on their individual traits and how best they represented uh, the people that they were going to represent as a, you know, in, in the Senate or in the House or whatever. So I think that, you know, when you go back and read the Federalist Papers and you read some, you know, more of that type of documentation, it puts a little more into into context that even though the world was a lot different back then, I mean, there were certain things that that we certainly would not do today that were normal, um, you know, in those times. You know, you look at the slave trade. I mean, that's obviously a dark stain on the past of humanity, right? Not mm-hmm. just American culture, but hum- humanity, right? Yep. I mean, at the time, you're talking a social construct that was normal all around the world, right? Like it wasn't... I think people kind of wrongly associate it just with, you know, us doing that or whatever versus, well, the whole world was doing that. There was an entire global trade that treated people as a commodity. And yes, that's wrong and it goes completely against natural rights. Um, but I'd like to think there are certain areas where we've gone forward uh, in our society and certain areas we could always use some more work on. Of course, uh, I'm not going to say that's not the case. And I'm not saying we're not perfect, you know. Or that were perfect, um, but I would like to think that Second Amendment is such an important role in our society that the even the people that don't understand it or care for it benefit from it without even realizing it. Um, that's the thing. Uh, if we lose the Second Amendment, we are going to be going down a very terrible path, and there won't be any return from it that doesn't require uh, things getting kinetic. You know, I'm going to. And this is maybe something we can we can brainstorm uh, later, but I encounter a very large number of uh, ethnic minorities uh, at my shop. So we do ballisticking, but we also run our family business as well. And ninety percent of our customers um, are all uh, different types of people, so all types, all walks of life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, and then we're really good friends because we've been doing business with all these customers for years, like some of them 20 years. I am legitimately going to, I'm going to ask them say, I'm, I'm just going to start recording it and say, Hey, why did you come to the U S what is it about the U S that you enjoy? You know, what made you choose America over any other country? And I think if I can get you know, concise answers from all these different people from all walks of life. Maybe compile it. We can compile it. We'll, you know, we'll throw it up and uh, and let everybody see it. And I think that'd be a great experiment because everybody will get a chance to see what 
drives people to come to America? We've done that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you guys have ever, you know, if you're watching here on YouTube, uh, I'm sure you've seen some of our gun gripes where we've uh, actually covered rallies and things like that. That's great stuff. Um, very similar to that, kind of a man-on-the-street sort of uh, style of doing things. Now, if mm-hmm. you're listening on the podcast over on Iraq Veteran 8888, uh, you know, we do have multiple videos related to these types of subjects if you want to check them out. Shameless plug there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have the means, and I think that'd be a, a great um, – because it's not just getting into gun culture, but American culture, into, like, what makes us great and all that good stuff. So it can be – you know, it can be both. It can. And, and, you know, what's so interesting, too, is, you know, people always associate and, and I don't know why, like you see in society, people get so angry about this cultural appropriation, right? Oh, well, how dare you appropriate that person's culture? But I disagree. I think that in the U.S., we are such a mixing pot of cultures. We embrace culture from all around the world, right? I mean, you look at these fashion designers that get in trouble because, oh, you're appropriating Japanese culture in your in your uh, in your designs that you do for your clothing or whatever your clothing line. And well, so what is that to say that Japanese culture is not this wonderful jewel that we can all you know accept as being? Hey, that's cool. We like that. Like we integrate those things into our cultures, right? We enjoy experiencing other people's cultures and then taking things from that culture that we think are cool and kind of integrating it into our own. I think that that's accepting, right? To accept other people's cultures. Um, but one way to look at it too is when you look at the roof Koreans, right? And there's this term that gets thrown around about during the L.A. riots, okay, the uh, grocery store owners there, uh, they're mostly South Koreans, got up on their roof with their guns, and they kept the the you know people that were trying to loot uh, and the looters at bay, and they were able to save their store from getting burned and looted. Very effectively. And very effectively. Yeah. And, of course, um, you know, there are people that maybe are a little bit short-sighted, and they think, well— that's appropriating, uh, you know, their culture or, oh, that's being, you know, potentially racist or that's a politically sensitive issue or that's not politically correct uh, to to showcase that. Why not? All I saw were Americans on the roof of their business protecting themselves. And we when we say roof Koreans, it's a term of endearment. Like It, it really is. It, it really is a term of endearment because you love seeing success stories in the Second Amendment. You know, had it been any other type of business owner that did the same thing, I'd be happy to see that, too. But it paints a very specific story for the end user when they see these South Korean immigrants who came here and they did it all through the correct channels, got their firearms through the correct channels. You know, a lot of them served in the military in South Korea. You have a compulsive military service. So everybody at least does some basic training and serves a short stint. Two years. Right. Two years. So when you see that these people came here and understood that we viewed natural rights as a very important jewel that you're not going to touch and get near. And they realized, wow, we have guns as tools to protect our business against people that would take away our livelihood. So. When you look at it under that lens and you understand the totality, uh, it's very touching to see when people use the Second Amendment or at least recognize the Second Amendment and exercise their rights to protect themselves. Without a doubt. And I can tell you that um, Koreans accept that as a term of endearment. Uh, I've sold, I'm going to say I, we, uh, we've sold more roof Korean shirts going into South Korea than I can actually count. 
I mean, yeah. we they were flying overseas to Korea and not to like American army bases in Korea, like to Koreans that's in awesome. Korea. <laughs> so I mean, it was and really see, cool. That's the thing. It creates this, this pop culture icon that people create through their actions, right? I mean, you can wear a roof Korean t-shirt and you don't think, oh, well, I'm appropriating someone's culture. No, that's American culture, right? You're wearing that shirt and you're proud of what those guys accomplished together and they banded together and they protected their business. And that's one of the most American things you could possibly ever think of is for some immigrants to come here, assimilate to being Americans, own guns. And you know what? Not to say that you're not going to be who you were born as or that you're not going to, you know, love your original culture where you came from. No one's telling you to, you know, drop everything you know about where you came from. No, of course not. But I think it's worth noting, hey, you know, I'm a Korean guy living in California. I'm going to open up my own grocery store. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Hey, we're in America. I get to use the Second Amendment, and I'm going to protect my Korean grocery store That's with right. my K2 uh, Daewoo yep. with my service rifle, rifle that I went and bought down the street from the guy. So, you know, I think there's nothing more American than that. Yeah. And, I mean, just to, I mean, recap the episode, I know we, had a, we talked about some great stuff, but the thing that I really want to – key in on is that states are taking back their rights and I'm not going to say seceding from the federal government, but they are showing that they have more of a backbone on standing up for their own individual states' rights. And I pray that every state at least attempts to put their legislation for constitutional carry because yep. as they're stripping away federal rights or and trying to impose federal legislation the states, that's where the buck stops. And that started with uh, the whole marijuana, like uh, medical grade marijuana. And then I think Colorado or Washington were like, you know what? It's against the law federally, but as a state, we're going to make our own laws. And that opened the door for the firearms because they said, well, hey, if you can do that for a schedule one drug that's illegal, like full-blown illegal to the federal government, then the states have every right to fight tooth and nail for a constitutional right. That's right. And I think that you're also seeing that where the states are adopting, you know, Second Amendment sanctuary clauses and a lot of their laws and and ordinances and things. And I, I think that's a healthy environment. You know, what actual legal clout that will have and what the law enforcement locally will actually do with that uh, is another another story. Or another question, I guess, if you will. It'll rest with your sheriff. It, it, it certainly That's will. You you know, sheriff do. is a relatively powerful official in the law enforcement community because your sheriff is an elected official. They answer to the people. If you have a problem in your community, talk to your sheriff. The sheriff is the, uh, uh, by law, is the ultimate law enforcement law enforcement authority for that region. And they, and this is by, this is per the law, the sheriff has jurisdiction over their entire region and they voluntarily cede that responsibility to the police chief by it's volunteer. They don't have to do it. They do it out of uh, convenience. A sheriff can also deputize you on the side of the road. Correct. But that's why it's so important for sheriffs because ultimately they have the final say in what does and does not get enforced. I mean, I know our sheriff here locally, he is very approachable and he's a very easygoing guy. Never really had a single problem out of him. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, that, your mileage may vary. Okay. <laughs> there are some really, there, I mean, there's been there some, are pretty, some that aren't exactly yeah. cool and they're not easy to talk to. They're elitist, you know, they're, they're very uh, high on the hog and they're, and they're very much trying to climb, you know, some sort of a political ladder, but it is cool to see a lot of the states fighting back against some of this stuff and, and being very vocal about wanting to get constitutional carry passed. I think that's a good first step. But in order for us to really fight back, you know, the Second Amendment is going to have to wind up being the prohibition of our time. Like I've talked about in so many different gun gripes and in so many different podcasts, right? The reason prohibition was not successful was because after a while, they realized the gig was up. People were going to drink. There were speakeasies on every corner. Then people started just sitting out on the street drinking it. They didn't care what the law enforcement thought. Then they ended up finding out that a lot of their cop buddies were in the speakeasies drinking. Mm -hmm. So when the sheriff's in the speakeasy drinking. Including Elliot. No, it's Elliot Ness. Yeah, I mean, including, you know, these high-profile federal agents are in the speakeasies drinking. And they're poisoning their own people. How can you, by night, get drunk in the speakeasy and then by day go and bust the barrels? It's like, isn't that hypocritical? And I think they realized it was time to just move on past it. And I think that that's what it's going to happen for the Second Amendment community and for gun rights in general, right? I think people are going to realize, well, it doesn't matter what law we try to pass. People just aren't going to comply anyway. So after a while, you're going to realize, well, you're spinning your wheels. You, it, it's like the Harry Potter movie, right? Uh, what, what, which one was it that had Umbridge in it? What, which Harry Potter movie was that? I think it was. Um, I'm not Order of the huge, no, not uh, Order of the Harry Phoenix. Potter. Fan. Well, well, anyway, okay. So, so like, I always use this reference because it, it, it's a good reference, right? It's like in Harry Potter when you know Umbridge tells uh, you know the 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 castle keeper guy there to go and put up all the different signs and there's just there's rule after rule after rule and there's so many rules on the on the freaking wall that he's got to get this big ladder to hang them all up and they're trying to enforce every little tiny rule they can and of course the students and doing what kids do, they do what they want and they right. end up finding a way around it. So society is very much just a larger version of that type of situation, right? They can pass all the laws they want, but society and people at large are going to do what they want to do, right? We see that with drug laws. We see that with gun laws. We see that uh, with tons of different regulations. So the question is how much of a criminal society wants to make you for doing what they know you're going to do anyway, regardless of what the law is. Yep. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think the turning point was when, during Prohibition, they ended up poisoning a whole bunch of Americans because the plan was to poison the alcohol and that way they would get sick, except they died, (laughs) which was terrible. But that was that turning point. And I I, I do think there's going to be a point in time where noncompliance will be the turning point of saying, you know what, well, let's just give this up because it's not worth it. It's not worth it on their end. I think they're realizing it, but we have to keep the pressure on them. You know, if you're a new gun owner, it's important that you be an ambassador to the uh, the, the shooting and everything and an ambassador to firearms ownership and, uh, and get people involved because the more folks uh, understand that it's a normal thing, the better off we're going to be in terms of our rights not being infringed on, especially by politicians moving forward. So, um, Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We have many more of our podcasts on the way. We hope you'll join us next Friday for Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. We do have more flights on the way. Uh, We didn't have an opportunity to film one today, but we are going to be doing some more food and uh, drink flights. So stay tuned for that. I think we're going to be doing a pepper flight. 
So you better right. better get your big boy panties yeah, out for man. that because you're gonna have get... to you're gonna have to be eating some hot peppers. I got with my me. gallon of milk with me. All right, yeah, it's okay. We'll let you have your gallon of milk. I'm put a nipple on that for you. Oh, if you need me <laughs> okay, but uh, we are gonna be doing uh, pepper fly and some other drinks and stuff. Uh, and you know, in this podcast, we do discuss a ton of different things. So make sure you tune in. If you're listening to us on the podcast outlets, leave us a good rating. That'll help us show up in the search results a little better. Absolutely. If you're watching here on YouTube, be sure to leave us a like. Uh, comment please leave a comment and share it with your buddies have a good one many more podcasts on the way we'll see you next friday bye everybody thanks for listening to life liberty and pursuit if you enjoyed the show be sure to subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and anywhere else podcasts are found be sure to leave us a five-star review we'd really appreciate that you can support us over on ballistic inc by picking yourself up some merch and remember guys Dangerous freedom. Have a good one.